And welcome to the next episode of After Hours, Engineer Your Career After Hours on the line. Got After Jordan Hours. Brennan. How you doing, buddy? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah? it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's after hours here, but it's still light out because it's, it's June. Love so summer. It doesn't, it doesn't get light out to like, or dark out to like nine. So 10 up here, man. Oh, it's so fantastic. You live in the dream. Live in the dream. You're on the boat today. Getting that boat. sun. I know, dude. Lucky summer's you. here. Feels good. Feels good. It also feels nice. good to be uh, bringing up the next after hours topic, man. This is one I wanted to talk about for a little while, but basically the idea of what you wished you learned while you were in, in college slash undergrad, mostly, I guess, mostly aimed at undergrad. Probably mostly um, undergrad. So you might be listening, well, what do you mean what, what I didn't learn in college? Well, if you think about it, there's, I don't know, there's a, there's definitely things about college that it's not structured well to actually, to actually do well. And then, you know, you can kind of think about it, well, like an airplane versus a car, they both travel, but an airplane is just based on its nature, better suited for longer travel with a bunch of people, as opposed to a car, which is better for short travel, just like, you know, by the nature of it, it's better at certain things. And so it's in that same way here, that same analogy applied to education in in school and university um, is also true. So we've kind of wanted to talk about this idea because it comes up on, you know, the episodes talking with people of, you know, well, what, what did undergrad not do well for you in this case? Or what did it not help set you up with? And really the main point being to help those listening acknowledge them so that they know that they need to work on them or that they are not going to realistically obtain them. And really, I want to start by saying like, this is not a knock on universities. Like this is not like this, you know, it's just because of its nature, like in the same way, you can't knock a plane for being bad at short term, short distance travel. Like it it knows that it's not, it's, that's just part of it. It's still just going to do its long distance travel thing. And the same is true for, for universities. Like it, it needs to do what it does best, but it's still important to acknowledge what it's not particularly good at doing. Definitely. And I think like we spend four years, usually some of us five, because we take a little longer in undergrad and we expect that to like, you got to do it, folks. It's great. Uh, We we expect that to prepare us for the next 30, 40 years of life and how we're working. Like you're not going to be able to compress all that into it, aside from things just changing constantly. Like Mm. you're there because you got an engineering degree. You didn't necessarily have time to cover everything else or the energy to do it. And, and because universities have a little bit of a split uh, goal there to prepare you for a job, but since they're also depending on your university can be heavily invested in research. They're also kind of teaching more to that side to prepare you for graduate school or something further. And so uh, when you end up in industry, then you, you have a mix of skills and things you've learned, but it's not always everything you need. And, and I think what we're going to talk about here is a lot of these things are not necessarily technical um, because yeah. you can get a great technical education university. That's what they're built for. Like mm-hmm. textbooks, equations. Cool. We can do that. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of the other things that uh, you don't get when you're in school. Right, right. And really kind of aiming this at the idea of like, you know, you go through undergrad and they sit down at your job and okay, what didn't I get from undergrad that I really wished I would have got? A, you know, like what what do I feel like I'm now lacking? And even even in, I guess, part of that transition, I think that's where I feel like I felt it the most and I think people feel it the most is this process of, oh, I'm a senior. I'm having to start to transition to the next stage of life. I don't have some of these tools that I need to do this. And so I guess maybe to start, we can start kind of a few things that we talked about. Well, I guess maybe, maybe let's start like during school. Like what are some of the things that happen during school that, that are good to acknowledge? And then we'll work our way towards the transition out. And then what it's, what you realize you needed to learn while you're actually working. Um, 
And so I think one of the first things that I, I want to talk about is this idea of having to teach to the middle. And I, you know, people talk about this in even, I don't know, K through 12 and in things like that. But this idea of you're trying to, you're trying to train a huge group of people, sometimes thousands of students, if not hundreds of students, and especially in big lectures and stuff, like you can't necessarily follow in what well, you can't, you can't follow individual people and give them exactly what they needed at any given time, right? If you're learning a subject from a textbook, you'd be like, okay, well, chapter one was easy for me. Chapter two is harder. So let's spend more on time on chapter one and less time on chapter two. Um, that's the individual approach, but you can't do that. You have to just shoot for the middle. You know, we're going to spend the same time on chapter one and chapter two, but if you struggle with one or two, like you're just going to kind of have to figure it out. And that that can make it hard for uh, for the outliers on both sides. You know, whether whether you're constantly struggling, you feel like they're going too fast, or whether you're always bored and you feel like they're going too slow. Um, and that's just kind of the nature of it. And so part of that is self-reflection and understanding where you sit in that and realizing, okay, hey, I'm struggling with this. They're going to keep moving. So I need to either go to a learning center or like talk to some of the people and really focus because I'm falling behind. Or, but it's also on the other side for me, it's like if you're struggling and you, or if you're struggling to stay focused and you want to learn more, that's where like undergrad research comes into play or self-learning outside where you can do these other things to help supplement and make it more exciting for you. Um, I, 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 I feel like I swung, I swung both ways, you know, in chemistry classes, I always struggled. I always, it was, oh, yeah. it was so hard for me. I just didn't get it. You know, I, I would read the textbooks and they would talk and I just, I just wasn't coming together for me. I, you know, I, I like to, I'm a, I'm a systems approach thinker. Like I learn things by understanding the system. So then when you ask me a question, I can think about my understanding of the system and then give you a response back as opposed to like mem- pure memorization where you're like, okay, I memorized these things. So when they asked me the question, I remembered that because I memorized it, but I just couldn't understand the system of chemistry or at least I didn't at the time. And so I had to go to learning centers and like every week I remember I had an appointment and I just kept asking probably what sounded like dumb questions, but that's, I just knew I needed to, otherwise I was going to fall behind. So yeah, that would, you know, example of how I, how I worked it when I felt like I was on the lower, lower tier of success in a class. Yeah, no, I've definitely been there too. I think you can start off. I mean, when you go into college, obviously you come in with some sort of body of knowledge based on the high school you went to and where you were at. You may start off at a different level, but as you go through, uh, your level may change, like you said. And I think sometimes that's going to be because the material is hard, or maybe it's because you're taking a class outside of your normal domain and you don't know about it as well, where I, I, I had like a senior, maybe it was grad school, I don't know, math class that I had to take. And I was like me, one other engineer and a bunch of like math majors. And I'm like, I haven't touched math that much at all. Like I'm on, I'm on the bottom here, but obviously the professor is teaching to the middle because they're full of math majors. Like they're going to be able to do this. I'm going to have to put in extra work. So understanding where you're at and really uh, getting the help you need. And this kind of leads into one thing that I kind of identified as something I wish I learned better was really actually how to learn going to college. Uh, because when you're at college, everything is very well laid out there. You go to these set defined classes that have a syllabus for them, how the professor is going to present the material to you, usually in lecture form, you're going to have a notebook. Here's the desired outcome. Here's where you need to be at the end of the semester. And here's these tests along the way, um, which is nice. That's all laid out. But when you get into the real, real world and whether you're trying to learn a new skill in that similar way, or maybe something on the job, like 
it's not as laid out. It's not as clear. It's a lot fuzzier and there's, there's no clear definition of success or failure in that or learning outcomes along the way. Um, so you really have to learn how to teach yourself in a lot of ways. And that comes down to figuring out, I think, your learning style um, in college, because usually you're, you are going to use the learning style that is presented to you, which is usually lecture and book. And maybe that doesn't always work. Maybe that is you need one-on-one instruction. So it's getting, you know, TA help, professor help uh, from like a learning coaching center type help or something. Um, some people like watching lecture, watching like video lectures, because that's that helps them a lot. Stop and you know rewind and and uh, watch the video again. Uh, but you don't always Even get just that from a focus perspective too. That's one of the things I like about yeah. videos. That I'm able to focus on it a lot better than books. I find like when I'm reading text, like I'm thinking about other things while I do it, and I'll read a whole paragraph. And if I I like th- think to myself like, do you remember any of that? And of course I go no, because I was thinking about something else while I read that paragraph. So like then you just got to kind of go back. And so yeah, I think it's important that you work on how, how you learn, right? Cause it's, I mean, it's, it seems kind of, it seems kind of like a weird question. Like you need to learn how to learn. Like that's what I'm doing. I'm learning. You're, you're really not, you're not really being taught how to learn. You know, when you're in a math class and you're chapter one and you're on, you know, derivatives, like you're learning how to take derivatives. You're not learning how to learn how to take derivatives. Yeah. Meta learning, figuring out how to learn. There's definitely books you can read on this if anyone's interested. Um, <laughs> uh, we can go deep dive down that route because I've gone that way. Uh, but it's, 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 it's important, important thing to do. Yeah. Well, and it really, it, it brings back to this other like self-reflection of where you are. Because, you know, the professor's got how many students plus all kinds of other stuff going on. Like, unfortunately, I think it happens where students start to struggle and professors just have to be like, well, they're, they're just struggling. Like if they come to me, like in, I, I think, you know, all professors, I think in general, like if, if a student comes to them and is, is honest in self-reflection and saying, Hey, I'm struggling, here's what I'm struggling with. Like, I think they, they'll help them like, as best they can, but they're not going to actively go out and say, Hey, this person looks like he or she's struggling. I'm going to reach out to them and pull them in. I mean, yeah, I, that's, that's a rare case just because it's just, again, it's not how it's designed. It, you know what I mean? It's just not how it's designed to work. It's not how the airplane flies in this case. And so that's just something you need to acknowledge when you're in the classes. Like you need to acknowledge where you sit and that you need to ask for questions and that you're going to have to learn how to learn. And that learn how to learn skill is definitely, definitely going to be applied. Like I think one of the things that's interesting for me about reflecting on being an engineer, getting out of undergrad is realizing when I came to a problem in industry that I knew I had learned before, but I had to relearn, but I didn't know how to do that. Cause I, you know, it's different when you're taking the class and you just sat through the lecture and you got the textbook and you know, the, the questions presented like, okay, it's a, it's a statics trust problem. You know, what's the load in, in member C like, okay. Yeah. Like you just saw that you just saw the lecture. You just had the textbook, but picture yourself 10 years from there where you remember at one point you knew it, but you have to learn it again. And that may be a silly example because you could probably Google like how do you solve a trust problem and there'd be probably reasonable videos. But I'm going to tell you that there's going to be things that you think that you would Google and there would be great resources for and there's going to be nothing like yeah. nada. Like it's going to be uncomfortable. The results you see back from Google, like it, it's happened to me multiple times where I'm like, oh, I learned this before. Google, Google, enter. Not, none of this is relevant to what I'm looking for. And you go, crap, what now? 
Yeah. I mean, engineering is, is Googleable to some degree when you're yeah. learning what's the equation for this. But like yeah. once you get out into a job, obviously, if everything was Googleable, they wouldn't need you to do it. Right. Uh, so you're, you're faced with new situations and it's it's learning. Yeah. You, the technical level is is way above basic things. So you have to figure out how to how to find a resource, whether that's a person or a book or something. How do you digest that? How do you learn and how to go forward with that? Because you, you can't if you stop learning in your career, uh you are not going to go anywhere. Uh, I think what, what I see in people around me is definitely those people who have really stopped learning have really stagnated. And some of that's been by choice. Uh, but some of that has also just been the natural flow of I'm comfortable here. Why, you know, I don't need to learn anything new. And then they're just there. Um, yeah. So learning. which brings us to an ancillary point, which is interesting. I don't, for those for those in, in undergrad that are listening, you, you might wonder the question of, should I save my college te- textbooks? And I, I, this, this is kind of a relevant point to this. And so... I mean, pretty much where, where I've got to, like I've used the textbooks in my domain. So like I took a vibrations class. I do noise and vibration. Like that's my area. I go back to my vibrations book I have and my noise control and then acoustics books. I haven't gone back to like my base chemistry or base physics book. Um, but yeah, so I would say like, if you know the general area you want to go into, like if it's like fluids or thermal or like that, like that, you have that known, I would keep those books for sure. Man, I'm a book hoarder. I have I have more textbooks than I really should have held on to, but yeah, they're well, there. So they're not worth anything that. now, so I'm holding well, on to them. Yeah, well, I mean, like I guess now that you think about that, man, like what? Not now that you know what you know now, what would you have told yourself to keep? Ooh, that's yeah, that's a good point. I don't I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to think more about that one. I think I think because part of it, well, no, and I, then the reason I say that is because uh, you might jump around in your career and what you're doing. Um, the domain you're in might move. And for me, I'm like, yeah, I'm a guy who likes to keep all my options open. I don't, I don't want to shut the door. It's bad. I need, I need okay. to shut some doors, okay. but that's, right. that's well, if you're me. a hoarder, keep them all. If you're, yeah, a, hoarder, if you're, keep them all. You, if you're a mental learning hoarder or a physical book hoarder, you'll be in good company. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So learning how to learn. Uh, let me see what else I made some notes trying to remember things. Oh, okay. So the other thing when you're in undergrad, um, from my perspective, I felt like professors were in a tough spot to give hard, honest feedback. And um, like, and I mean, I mean, not necessarily, I don't mean like on your homework, like writing, like, hey, you didn't do this, like you need to learn this better. But I mean, also like, I mean, so some of that, I, so I guess there's two things here. The first thing is a grade perspective. I think professors are incentivized to give better grades because it keeps more students off their back. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of professors are incentivized by student surveys now. Like it becomes a big part of their, their, I don't know, package, whether it's salary or tenure or whatever. And so they're super incentivized to just give students better grades. I mean, it really the only, only thing that I know is it seems like is just like their ethics on whether or not they want to keep going. And that so that's a huge concern to me. And so I, you know, thinking about that, I think like you just. Yeah. Like if you're really trying to get honest feedback, you probably got to go talk to him in person and see because it just seems like, yeah, I don't know. It seems like professors are incentivized to be easier. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle on this one. I think, I think the, the point about student surveys is definitely huge. I feel like every time those come around at the end of the semester, you could see the professor from their perspective, probably being like, Oh, but I do good because depending on how my compensation package is, this could really affect it. And that may be part of it. Um, but I, I also, on the other hand, don't necessarily think that their feedback was always great or always positive. And maybe it's just this middle of the road, um, kind of lukewarm, here's your grade type thing. Uh, and, may, and the other part of that is maybe 
some professors are at times more generous of, hey, you know, I know you tried. And we, and, and lots of times in engineering, it's, it's depending on the professor, you'll get points for, did you show your work? Did you, you know, what did you try? Whether the, the outcome on the answer was wrong or not, you know, did you show how you got there? And so that can be another way of, you know, maybe their feedback was good on that. And what was more important? Was it important to get the right answer? Or was it important to do the process? That's, of course, something that definitely changes once you, uh, you get in industry. But yeah, I, I see know, where you're coming I, I up with this. Just, I, I just worry that like culture society is pushing professors to be in a point where they're not really going to to help people learn. And I see a lot of this, you know, more towards like the upper tier, like the upper percentiles of the distribution. Like if if you're a really well performing student, like I don't think you get a lot of good feedback because professors are so busy dealing with, you know, this is, I guess, kind of a teaching to the middle point. So busy dealing with like the underperformers, right? Like I've, I've been a grader, man. Like when you're going through and you're spending an entire day or more grading an assignment, like to have to write and contribute more, like that gets hard. When And so you get to these, these like ones that need a lot of content and really need a lot of pushing, like you get exhausted by those. And then you get one that's like, oh man, they got it. Boom. Just here's your grade. No comments. Like good job. Like, and so you know what I mean? Like I feel like they like it's systemic in in the institution that then, like, yeah, like I don't know. It's it's just a struggle. Maybe maybe I, I see what you're saying there. Definitely because graders grade grade papers and they're not responsible for your teaching and your learning. Um, maybe it is a like just in general a lack of feedback because of how the systems designed of yeah. you know you got 100 kids in a class you got to get all through them i can't give individual feedback to every single one and help them succeed if they want to they can come talk to me but it's kind of a you know no one's necessarily reaching out to you uh to give you that extra feedback you really have to go searching it and, and i'm sure if, if you're in college listening to this you've you've experienced that and hopefully figured that out um yeah. but yeah i for me another thing is understanding what work as an engineer is actually like. Uh, so learning in a classroom is no way looks like what you're going to be doing at your job. Most of the time, right. you're I not mean, just essentially the epitome of why we're doing this podcast is to, yeah, exactly. to help people realize that, you know, you, you don't really, you don't really know what your day to day is going to be like. There's like, there's a solid chance unless you had internships, like let's say you didn't have internships. I would say there's a real good chance when you're graduating and you're looking at job descriptions that you have absolutely no idea what those people do every single day. Exactly. No. And I think that's that highlights the importance of getting internship. Like I did not start doing internships until late in uh, my time at college. So I had like two, um, which, which isn't bad, but uh, people who have more of them earlier on are going to have a little bit of advantage because there's one, you're going to know what some of that work looks like of what is it actually doing in this specific job I'm working in. And talking to the other interns and other people around you. You're also going to know what it's like working in an office setting where the goal of that institution is not to teach you and bring you knowledge. It's to produce an outcome to, you know, sell a product or provide a service to a customer. Um, and those are, those are very different than what, what you're doing in class. Uh, you're, you know, you're not just solving problems or, uh, studying, learning facts and things, uh, you're actually out there making. Uh, and that's not something you do. I think curriculum is changing a little bit now. Um, it seems like in colleges to do a little bit more hands-on type things. Uh, yeah, that seems to be more like people, like, there's different ways you learn. Like you learn visually, you like you learn by reading, you learn audibly by people talking, you learn, you know, by like touching and feeling like there's, there, I don't know the technical term, but I know that there's like different ways in which you learn. And I think the labs are become part of that. But I think we just need to, you know, acknowledge 
the airplane in the room. Like it, like it just is what it is. Like it's not, it's not designed to make a product. It's designed to help you learn. And it's going to, you know, do that to the best it can, but it's going to have some pitfalls. And one of those pitfalls is going to be, you're not going to know how to work in a large team environment. You know, every, you know, everyone who's been through a senior design experience knows that like, it's just garbage for working in groups. Like it's not, not garbage. I mean, it's something, it is something, but the dynamic is like totally weird. Like you don't have a boss, you don't have like cost stuff. I mean, yeah, you have like a bill of materials you have to follow, but it's, it's, it is something I'm not, I'm not trying to like knock schools. Like it is something and it's good that you have it. I'm not saying that, but it's just totally different than what it's like to actually work in the engineering world where, okay, yeah, my bill of materials for, you know, senior design project was two grand, but like, you're talking hundreds, if not millions of dollars in, in industry. Like it's, it's just different. Like it's just, it's just different. And it's important to acknowledge that. And so I think for me, helping to combat that is to try to work on like bigger teams. So like if you can work on enterprise teams or if you can work on, you know, tens, tens of persons teams somehow in your university, uh, like extracurricularly, like that's where you're going to start to get some of that better experience. And I mean, even the dynamic of working with a boss, like you don't, you don't get that. Like what yeah. it's not your te- the teacher student relationship is nothing like the boss employee relationship. And I mean, you, you might, I guess maybe you might think it is cause you're like getting feedback and they're like asking, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's really, really different. And it's different for everyone. Cause you like, you have different boss dynamics, you know, some are more like friends and some are more like, no, like it's more professional. And I don't, I, it's, it's totally different. And so like you can, but you can get some of that experience through extracurriculars, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like you can help offset that by doing extracurriculars in large teams, by even just getting an on-campus job where you're working as a barista in the cafe or working somewhere like, yeah, that gives you some understanding of, or even you know outside of the university, some understanding of what the dynamic is like, where you realize, okay, I have a person above me who's responsible for achieving X. I'm here to help support them. Like that, you know, that, that those mindsets that you get from those, just doing those extra, extra jobs is also still beneficial. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You're going to have different team dynamics, especially different dynamics with your boss. Uh, in the three and a half years of my job, I have not changed jobs, but I've had three different bosses and, uh, it's a different dynamic with each one. And so things can always be changing, whether that's different team members who are coming a part of your team or people you're interacting with people change jobs in the real world all the time. Uh, so people are coming and going and it's really is understanding that because maybe you work on a four person project team for a class in uh, college, but you know, that has a defined start date, a defined end date. And you're just kind of like, okay, I can, I mean, if the team is working well, you're like, this is awesome. If it's not, you're like, okay, I can just get through this. At the end of the semester, I can be done moving to something else. That doesn't always happen in the real world. Well, yeah, because it's totally different. I mean, so like Dan, Dan Hurst, good job. Thank you, man. Post something on LinkedIn about this, but essentially the idea of in the real world, cost is a huge player at the table, right? So you sit down at the problem table at school and you have a generic problem and you have your, your tools to your, you know, your technical tools to solve it and maybe some money if you're doing like a senior design thing. And that like, those are the, those are the players, the stakeholders at the table, but you get into industry and there's this huge money player at the table. This person's that like, is this product going to sell? Can we meet cost requirements? Is it manufacturable? Like these things that play a role in the success of the business that are integral to all of the engineering decisions that you just don't experience when you're trying to solve problems in school. Like you just, you know, like we talked, like you mentioned, uh, what triggered me with what you said was like, it has an end date. Like 
I mean, it's kind of, it's true there in business, like there's these milestones, but like there's so, there's so many important factors that can move that end date. And things in business, things get moved all the time because there's important things that cause things to move. Whereas in academia, I felt like it was like, well, it's the end of the semester. We're done. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just different. Like, so I think an important aspect of that is realizing though, like this idea of how money enters the engineering decision. And that's just, it's really actually a good point too, on the idea of, you know, you don't really learn that. I mean, I don't, you might take a finance class in your undergrad or something like that, but it might be like personal finance and it's not, you, you can't really understand it, but like, there, yeah, I guess I don't even know how to say it. I like, mean, so, huge, yeah. yeah, money is a huge factor because you don't really deal with budgets in your college classes that much, at least not real world budgets. But mm-hmm. when you get out and you're working on a project and all of a sudden, I mean, let's say right now, a global pandemic hits, budgets are going to get slashed and you might be expected to do the same amount of work, but they do not have any more money to support you in that. And you can get caught in these situations of like, how do I get my work done? But they don't right. want me spending any more money this or spending time or buying resources. Like those are real things you have to deal with. Right. Yeah. That's a great example. Cause it's this idea of like, I, as an engineer, I have a technical, I have a technical goal line I need to cross. I know how to get there. Now you're saying I don't have the resources to get there. So then a different engineering hat comes on your head. Cause it's, how can I get closest to this goal line with the resources that I have available. That is a different engineering question than what you get in your exam where it's presented and there is an answer. Like you can always work to the goal line when you're presented the engineering challenge in that way. But in industry, like the goal lines are constantly moving and there's things that that cause you to have to make the best decision possible. And that's that's just a different question than anything you'll learn in academia. Yeah. So this leads into another point I have is that in in real engineering, there are very few problems with clean answers. We kind of get trained in college to be like, look at the answer in the back of the book. That's what the answer is. Now it's you should get. Uh, that is just, it's just not the case when you go out there and you're working on real world systems of parts and components and designs and everything else. Um, there's so many unknowns. James in episode one, I think said essentially that he's like, if you get a clean problem, it's a softball. Like it's a, it's a yay. Thanks. Good day. Cause like they just don't happen. Yeah. So we have this happen lots of times where it's all like, well, you know, can we use engineering judgment to figure out how we should be doing this? Because getting, you know, the quote unquote real clean answer would require tons of money and analysis and Mm -hmm. physical testing and all these things to get there. And it's like, it's just not, it's just not there. So you're not just learning how to apply equations. You're learning how do I understand systems and engineering as a whole to come up with what I believe based on my knowledge and experience with, with what I've learned so far will be a good enough answer that will get me there to make something that's usable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, putting it a different way, I guess how I think of it is like, you know, let's say you know the equation is X plus Y equals Z and you're trying to understand Z and you sit down at your table with your team member and you're like, okay, we need to, we need to find Z. And you're like, okay, well, how do we get X? You're like, well, getting X is going to cost too much money. Okay. Well, what, based on how, what we know about the system and what we know about, you know, the engineering equations we know, how can we get as close as possible to X given these time constraints or money constraints? Okay, well, we think we can get we think we can get well, our best guess is a you know a ninety percent accurate estimate of X. Okay, with our resources. Okay, great. Now, what about Y? Well, given you know this pandemic hit and we have these constraints, we probably only can get Y to fifty percent. Okay, well, that's what we're going to get. So we report out, hey everyone, here's Z to this reasonable expectation of accuracy, 
And that's what we had in the, in the time, in the money, in the labor resources we could get to. And that's what we're going with. Like that's, that's more real world engineering than giving, given the, um, you know, the, the test question of X is equal to five. Y is equal to six. What is Z? Z is 11. You know, like that. Okay. Yeah. Like in the test, they have to be able to have you solve it in an hour, but it's, and it's different. And you can't, like, I've had some exams in, in grad school where it's like, hey, if you, let's say someone asked you to collect this test data, how would you do it? And you'd have to write out, well, like, I would put these transducers here and I would have this data acquisition system and I would use this and this and this. And like, I don't know, I think in that case, like I spec'd out probably a $300,000 data acquisition system and, you know, a test plan that would take two weeks. And okay, I can write that on the piece of paper and good. Okay, that, uh, that's sufficient, obviously. It's like, it's X perfectly. But that's not what happened in any of my actual testing in real life. It's like, okay, you got a four channel data acquisition system. What can you get me? <laughs> well, I, I, I think I can get you X to 50. To fifty percent, okay, go. You got a day, <laughs> like, yeah. like that. That's that. What's what's become? That's what real world becomes. It's your application of engineering to the best of your knowledge, given the resource constraints. Yeah, definitely. You've got you know you have one day to do your testing instead of two weeks. What can you get me in one day? It's going to be good enough that we can put in customers' hands. Like those are real world things that happen right. because and sometimes especially... you push back, right? Like you like you'll be like, hey, boss, like. With, you're giving me one day in a four-channel data acquisition system. That's X to 50%. That's my best guess. Well, we need it to 80%. Well, you need to give me more time or you need to give me like that's you, you start to do this bargain too, right? And that gets like, they don't like, you have to be solid on your feet, right? You, you're estimating like for the future. Like, I think I can get X to 50% boss. And like, well, what if I give you two days? What can you do then? I think 80%, like you, you're on the fly trying to come up mm-hmm. with this stuff. And that's all, ba- that's, that confidence and that ability to do that comes with your your undergrad education of the equations and understanding of the system, but also a lot of experience. And that's why like experience really matters is because yeah. people get a lot better at estimating how close they can get to X given the resources. And like all of this, like thinking through this process is just not, um, it's just not what you learn in undergrad. And I'm not saying that's not important. I'm just saying like that, like that's just how the real world ends up working. And that's, this is how you use the knowledge from undergrad, right? You, you use these equations to, to give you an idea, but um, yeah, it's not, it, you're never going to get a clean question. Like you say, I totally agree. No. And, and, and to the point of, I don't necessarily think that this is always something that, that an undergrad program is supposed to teach you. Uh, but it would be really nice if it could, it'd be really nice if you did more, you know, more real world problems or something. I don't know. Like if they can make a course of here's a hundred bucks and we're going to change the deadline on you every three hours and, you know, come with the right answer. (laughs) That's an interesting idea. But I I mean, I think that's what these enterprises and stuff like that try to do. Like, you know, like these like Baja and things where it's like, okay, well you have these weight requirements, you have these cost requirements, you have this sound level requirement. They try to, you know, reasonably specify things so that you have, you're forced into making those decisions. You know, they're not saying like, Hey, you know, these are your resource problems. They like, they essentially get you to the point where it's like, okay, we're a team of 10 people on a Baja car. We only have this much time to, to get this done. So what are we going to focus on? Well, this year we're going to redesign the chassis because that's all we got time for everything else. We're going to use what we used from the year before. Like those, those are great. Like they're forced into it, but that's how actual engineering works. Like, it's like, we don't have time to redo everything. Well, I got time to redo the chassis on the, on the, on the model year this year. So we'll do that. Yeah. You know, 
I don't know. So I, yeah, that's you know another good plug for the extracurricular big projects is because it helps you learn some of that. Uh, it helps you. It helps. It helps you get. You, it helps get you exposed to not clean problems that you see are legitimate, right? I mean, because th- this essentially mm-hmm. is the problem, right? It's like if you if you are asked in an exam, like, "Hey, here's an unclean question," like you don't see it as legitimate. You don't feel it. It seems like a joke, and so you yeah. don't care. And so it's just like whatever. But like when you're in a team or a project where you like, this is a thing that has to happen. It's like a legitimate problem. It's not clean. I got to figure out a solution. Like that's industry engineering. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what that's you're going like to feel almost. like every day. Yep. Yeah. So get comfortable in in this space. Like it's going to feel uncomfortable, but get comfortable because that's where you're, that's where you're sitting for, yep. I don't know. And, and that's how it is. Like engineers, like they get be paid well relative to other things. It's because they're sitting in uncomfortableness a lot. They're having to make decisions that are uncomfortable. Like if you, if you want to make a lot of money, like it's going to be, it's, it's just how, how it is. You know, all the jobs that are making money. Like if you look at them, it's cause they're dealing in the gray. If there's any job that it's like, okay, it's black or white, black or white. Like it's, it's an, it's an easy job. It's the gray yeah. jobs that make money. Definitely. So, That's a really good way to put it. All right. Um, so now I guess the things that I had, I kind of more transitioning. So like once you finish up undergrad, right, you're going to be looking for that first job. And I don't think undergrad really does a great job of teaching you how to find that job and how to do your negotiation for that first job. And universities have career centers and stuff that I think do an excellent job and help you if you go and ask, but it's not Mm -hmm. part of the experience. It's like a service, right? It's career services. It's a service to the, to the students if they choose so in the same way that, I don't know, all the, all the other counseling services is like a service that you go to if if you walk in the door and do it. And so this is really just a plug for that. Like if you're going to go and find a job for your first job, like, and you don't you haven't really thought through the process, like go talk to someone in career services or, or an, a mentor or something about like how you go and search for a job and especially how you negotiate for your first job. Um, and what like, even things like this, like you don't even think about like when they're, when they were, when the initial HR person's on the phone for you and they're like, Hey, what's your salary range? When they ask you that question, you should have know what your salary range is and what's reasonable for you to expect before they ask that. Because otherwise, whatever you say, they're going to write down like, and that can, that can hurt you or help you. And it's, unless you're like strategic about it, it, it's likely going to hurt you and it can hurt you both ways. You can say too low of a number and they're going to take that and that's going to be your offer and you're going to undervalue yourself or you're going to say too high of a number and the hiring manager is going to get that form back from HR and they're going to be like, they want too much money. Let them go. And you, and you yeah. know, you're no longer going to move forward. And so like things like that, there's elements to the job search that are critical that you need to understand the process when you start it. And so for those listening, make sure you do that. Yeah. When you're on campus, you probably have the best resources for getting a job, mm-hmm. whether that yeah. is a career services or whether that is a job fair. Job fair is probably your mm-hmm. best opportunity getting a job for me. Um, like my first job after I finished my master's, I uh, it was it was basically was like a career day for automotive uh, on campus. And it was there were people there that they could see me. They could talk to me. It wasn't just them looking at my resume. Um, and I think you also have a point on here, which which I won't steal your thunder, but like the networking aspect of it, I, I recognized someone who was there recruiting who had been working at, at GM for a while. I was like, hey, you know, I kind of know him. I can make a connection. I can do this networking. I ended up, the job I did, I, I worked with him directly. Like he took my resume to, the, to his boss and, and I got hired right in. Um, so like you are going to have the best opportunities when you're on campus. And and I mean, it, it's, it's, 
I guess the idea is it's designed to be like that. But once you're outside of, once you have that first job, maybe you're looking for another job or doing something else, those services, they just, they're not there. Um, they're not there, at least as readily easily available. And you have to put a lot more work in sometimes. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's important to, to kind of be thinking about that thing. And yeah, I guess that, that does transition to the, I guess kind of the more last point I really want to make is that undergrad it seems like it seemed like at times like it was training you to say that being smart is the best way to go. Like you you think like okay, being smart gives me 100% on the tests, like that's that's the ultimate objective. And it's not the case. I guess, you know, if if the goal is advancement and moving up in your job, I would argue that networking and fitting well in culture and doing other things are better at advancing you through an organization than your technical knowledge. There are plenty of organizations out there that have people who are incredibly smart, but are not able to go anywhere because they don't fit well in the culture and they just rub people the wrong way. And they're just, they're the person you have to go to if you're stuck on a problem, but they're really difficult to work with and it's not going to be fun. Like that happens all the time in organizations. And so like being technically competent is good. It's a good skill to have, but you really want to pair that with these soft skills. And part of that becomes like good networking and good culture fit and learning how to have empathy and realizing that people are people and that their job is their job, but they have a family back home. And when they leave work at five o'clock, right in the middle of a project, it's not because they hate their job or they hate you. It's because their family is more important to them. And that's totally fine. And you should support that. Like, it's like, there's, there's this so much more about the job than being technically smart. And unfortunately, I think undergrad like you, you get built up on those who are successful are successful by being technically competent. That's what undergrad rewards you. That's what gets right, you the extra right, honors at graduation right, right. and, and other things. System. Like that's the yeah. airplane. That's just how it is. That's how it's built. And that's, that's fine. Well, I'm just, well, I guess you're just trying to bring up the point that in industry, like if you're looking to advance, like realize that that's not the marker of success ultimately in industry. It helps. It definitely helps, but there are other things that um, can help a lot more. Um, yeah. And like your point about networking is so key. Like, I mean, finding a job networking is, I, I don't know if it's the best, but it's, I, I think it's probably in the top. Like it's, it's a, who, you know, like, I mean, how I got my first job talking to professors in my, in my field saying, Hey, do you know any companies that are hiring? So then they email hiring managers, you know, who are probably their students at some point and say, Hey, I got, I got a candidate, you know, he's, he, whatever he's, he's, if, you know, if they can send an email that says, Hey, I got a good candidate for you and they have an opening. Like that's so, that's going to be so much better. Imagine you're a hiring manager. You're so busy every single day. You got all this stuff going on. You don't have time to review a million resumes and you're looking for someone you like, especially if you're hiring someone, right? If you're hiring someone, that means you have a resource need in your group. You're busy if you're hiring someone and you get an email from someone you know and trust that says, Hey, I got a candidate that's going to be, that's going to be good for your organization technically. Um, and they can maybe also say that you have a, a good personality too. Like mm -hmm. a, by good, I mean like you're not. Uh, a rock emotionally. And you have, you have actually, a, yeah, you have a you personality. Have a personality. <laughs> you can talk to people. And, yeah. And you, they get that email. They're like, boom, done. Like, great. Awesome. Like, let's do this. Like, is, you know, then it, then it becomes just a, like, well, we got to make the money thing work or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they got to make sure that they're going to be happier. And so, and so, you know, if you think about it from the hiring manager perspective, networking, it just makes so much sense. Like imagine someone was like, Hey, you listening, we need you to hire a person for this position. Here's 10,000 resumes. Or here's two emails from people that you know that have one person that they think is good. 
which route are you going to go down? You're not going to look through 10,000 resumes because you don't have time. Again, this like cost thing, no. like you, you, you only have so much time and resources yourself. And so it, it just, it makes sense, obviously, that networking is important, but it doesn't get brought up in undergrad again, because it's just not how it works. And I'm not, again, no, not a knack there, but just an, it's an important thing to acknowledge. Yeah. No, definitely. I definitely agree with all that. I think that's that's kind of the end of our list here. But summing a lot of this up is is things we've listed here are not are not really technical in a lot of sense. It's uh it's bigger picture than that. It's it's person personal skills. It's uh, broadening your range and looking at things different. It's not just uh, x plus y equals z type things. Um, mm-hmm. And and there is, I mean, there's probably some of that. If if I could probably come with some examples of oh, I wish I'd spent more time, you know, learning this technically and a lot of things. But a lot of that stuff you don't know until you're already out there, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's hard to you know hedge your bets on that. Um, okay. But for anyone that's listening, like I think for me, the the sum is is like. The earlier you can get an internship, the earlier you are going to have some sort of idea of what it's actually like working out there, mm-hmm. which is going to help you uh, get a job further down the road. And in a situation, it might help you figure out if you actually want to go into engineering or not, because maybe you find out something and you're like, you know what, this is not what I thought. Uh, I'm going to try something else. Um, and I think that happens for some people. And then that's good. You should find what what fits you well, because uh learning and being in college is not what you're going to be doing for the next 40 years. It's going to be at a business somewhere doing something uh, that doesn't look like, like sitting in a classroom. Right. And if you can't get an internship, other things you can try to do undergrad research, um, mm-hmm. being involved on teams like SA Baja or, you know, all those enterprises, all those are, I'm sure willing to, to take students too. Um, you can also even just experience it doing self projects. Like, I mean, like, I don't know if you're work, if you want to work on coding and you want to work on like a, a GitHub repository or something that you, I don't know, want to share with the world or something or like projects in that way. Um, or if you're not, you can, you know, make some, you know, let's say you know, work on CAD, work on some CAD projects, put them up on YouTube or something, you know, so you can start to build your portfolio other ways in ways that um, may still help you realize, you know, this, this thing of like, well, I only have so much time. Like I'm trying to work on this other, you know, this other project, but I, I got to do my homework and I got all these other things. And I don't, so there's there's still other ways, you know. I guess yeah. just to give people listening some other alternatives. If your response to, you know, well, I can't get an internship. I've I've tried, but it doesn't work. Here's some other things that you can always try. Yeah, definitely. No, I totally agree. All right. Well, All right. hopefully we've made it clear that we that we have no knack or we have no like I don't know bad ill towards universities. Like they do a great job at what they do. We're just mm-hmm. trying to acknowledge that there are some things that they just aren't set up to do, and that's fine. And so you just here, you know, acknowledge them and, and know where you, where you need to um, learn more or adjust. Um, yeah. But I'm sure we're also probably missing some things too. So if you're listening, you know, if you're not a student you're in industry um, and you're like, well, you guys kind of missed this. Um, please let us know, comment, let us know. email us, let us know. And then on the next after hours, we'll bring it up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you have any feedback on this or anything else, let us know, especially other things you want to hear uh, us talk about in after hours. And if you have something else we haven't talked about that you want to share something on, let us know. We can either include your info or we can we can have you on an episode by itself. So we'd love to hear from you guys. Whoever's out there listening. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engineer Your Career with Troy Bauman and Brennan Timrack. For more information about the show, visit our website at eycpodcast.com. There you can find show notes for each episode and get in touch with Troy and I. If you or someone you know are an engineer with an interesting or even not so interesting career journey and would like to be on the show, go on the website, send us a short bio, and we may just invite you to come on and share your story. And finally, if you want to show your support, please rate, review, like, or subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice.